Welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 8th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 26th, 2020, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because we had a lot of great interaction going on with last week's podcast, and I think there was a really interesting correlation on just what was going on, that we had this subject matter that led to a decent amount of discussion and it was interesting kind of hearing some of the different responses to that because of how we just kept it very open it was a little bit of a different style of how i did it last week so let's jump into the twitter question from last week which was where have you found god and you didn't expect to see him over the past few months and how has that changed you in loving others Also, find ways to love people in ways you haven't before for the upcoming week was the challenge of what I had said. And I got a response back from one person talking about how they had had this interaction and this communication back and forth based off of wearing a cross and how that's led to this nice conversation whenever they're going into Home Depot and how that has been something that's been missed because now that's not happening. Another one, I got some poetry this week coming back, and I really enjoyed it. Since we talked last week a lot about trees and how they need wind to be able to strengthen, there's this great Gerhardt Frost poem called Trusting that was sent to me, and I just felt that was really good. It's not very long, and I think it really kind of embraces some of this stuff. So, Gerhardt Frost in Trusting. Our five birth trees are locking in icy embrace. Their branches bent almost to the ground. I wonder, will they ever rise? Again, their weighted arms... There are such winter moments in a lifetime of faith, when no bird sings, heavy moments of menacing despair. But the birches will rise again, because they are birches. So faith bends too, but it doesn't break, of trusting one who is trustworthy, keeps faith from faltering when no one can explain. And I feel it just elegantly puts exactly what we were talking about, how those heavy moments in our own lives lead to us moving forward, lead to us being able to be stronger in our faith and how we move and carry out the faith in our day-to-day lives. And I really appreciate that poem. I think Gerhardt Frost did a great job at explaining that and putting it into even a more realistic viewpoint that many of us can see, especially if you're in the northern hemisphere, in the northern half of the northern hemisphere. But we got a lot to jump into this week. There's a lot of difficult things to look at. There's a lot of different information. So we need to just jump right into it. The gospel text this week is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 33 and 44 through 52. Jesus goes on a parable spat where he just keeps spewing these different parables and the verses that we miss here are ones that we've been getting the last few weeks but we get 
the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed being sowed in the field, which would have been very uncommon. It was seen as a nuisance weed that could in the Middle East here where Jesus would have been turning into a small tree was definitely not something that was cultivated and it was a smaller seed but that it becomes a tree and that it it provides use to the birds of the air with its branches. The kingdom of God is like yeast and making the bread leaven after adding flour to it. So like we've talked about a few weeks ago, how the yeast needs to have something to eat. But a lot where this is striking is a lot of the bread that would have been talked about here is was unleavened bread. It was bread that didn't have to rise. So in a way with having it rise, it was killing the bread. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that is found and then it's hid again. And then with joy, goes and sells all that he has and buys the field and where he hid this treasure. So this joy, this excitement that we have. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And once he finds a pearl of great value, he sells all that he has to buy it. And we'll dig into a little bit more about this with pearls, which I think there's some interesting connections there. And finally, we get into this kingdom of God is like casting out nets and getting every fish of every kind and bringing them ashore and separating them into baskets of good and throwing out the bad. But then we get this kind of continuation talking about how we aren't the ones who are sorting it out. Again, it's the reminder that the angels are the ones who are sorting the fish. And the really weird part of this comes in verse 51, when Jesus asks, have you understood all of this? They, being the disciples, answer yes. And he says to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of the household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. This idea of the disciples understanding these parables, and yet there's so much depth of what we're going through here, is really intriguing to me. But we'll dig into that a little bit more here in a few minutes. The first reading is from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5-12. through 12. This is a story of the Lord coming to Solomon as a child and asking him, Your father was this great servant, his father being David, of the Lord. And he has done such great things. What would you desire? And Solomon comes up with this amazing line. And it comes from verse 9. Solomon states, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this your great people? And this then pleases God, and because he answers with this answer, that yes, he will get that along with riches and wisdom throughout his life that he will carry on. And the beginning of Solomon's reign here, eventually as king. We're going to skip the alternative first reading for the moment, and we'll come back to it before we dig into things, but there's a specific reason why on that for this week. So the psalm this week is Psalm 119, starting at verse 129 through 136, 
and thankfully because Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, we're not having the whole thing. But it's this powerful reading of how God continues to try to connect with us through the different promises that we have, and it's that we have to be able to see that in what is going on, that we are disheartened when we are causing the pain of we are causing the separation where we're not following the law, where we're causing the breakage in trust between our Lord and Savior and God and humankind. The second reading is again from Romans chapter 8 verses 26 through 39. This is Paul continuing on that similar theme, but this kind of goes in a little deeper where the spirit that is within us helps guide us and helps bring us to these places where we need to go. And it's this almost prayer-like state that we have and that this understanding that because the spirit is in and is trying to steer us and trying to help us, and it's again, it's us, are we willing to let go of it? It gets to this question coming in verse 35 of who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we will be killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Continuing there through verse 39. This spirit is allows us to connect with God that we cannot separate, we cannot be pulled apart from God because of that spirit. This one I wanted to separate out is the alternative first reading from Genesis 29 verses 15 through 28. This is a very difficult read in a lot of ways because it's so against how we see women today. This is a reading going through Jacob and how he gets betrothed to both Leah and Rachel. We have the element of seeing Rachel and Leah as property. We see that now there's this sibling rivalry that will continue throughout the book, even though these are amazing, powerful women that because they get married to the same man and the deceit that ends up coming in from Jacob who had deceived his father to get the blessing and now Laman deceiving Jacob to not marry Rachel initially like what was promised but marry Leah over some what we would see as petty ideas of what the elder sister needs to be married first. And I'm just going to recommend this week 
check out the commentary on workingpreacher.com by Esther M. Men. She does a great job at talking about all the different parts of this and how this is really stirs up a lot of emotion, especially in women, and goes into a little bit of the further history of what ends up happening through this passage as they continue on and how Leah has children and is able to have children, which causes jealousy for Rachel because she can't have children, yet Jacob doesn't really want to have children with Leah. This really weird marriage dynamic and this polygamy that we're not used to hearing about. And so there's a really a lot of deep connotations. And I wanted to kind of pull this out separately to acknowledge it. And at some point, this is a, a whole section of passage that I really should do a deep dive on on its own. And I'm going to link the commentary down below. And I'd highly recommend checking that out and doing some reflection on this passage because we don't hear it often and especially to our 21st century ears this is a really weird passage and worth reflecting on how much we value women compared to the culture at that point along with the various different things that go on because of this and yet God still blesses this weird scenario. So before we jump into how faith and science come together in this week's text, I have to do my shameless plug for Working Preacher. And as you've already heard, I'm plugging their commentary this week. And it's an amazing resource since I'm not an ordained minister. I use them on a weekly basis to be able to help me get not only commentaries, but their podcast and having discussions that are on there. I love hearing their podcast, Sermon Brainways, where you have four different seminary professors going through and breaking down these texts, which I use on a weekly basis, especially since I'm not an ordained minister. It gives me a lot of direction. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. There's a lot to dig into this week and a lot of different avenues and a lot of different depth on how we can get into this. And I talked a little bit about mustard seed and I'll attach a link down below talking about mustard seed and how what would have been very odd to the listeners hearing Jesus talk about cultivating mustard because that wasn't something that was done. And in the Middle East, you do get these bigger mustard seeds, and there's even really kind of debate on how much value there was. Was it really being, you know, they used it a little bit, but how much of it was being used? And it's a really nice document here that's from Old Dominion University. So I'd recommend checking that out. And what I was really pulling out of here this week is that you had this mustard seed that provides something for something else, that it provides something unexpected. We have the yeast that grows even when we weren't expecting it to. We have this joy of when we find Christ, what I see this treasure as is being Christ, the joy of us finding it and how it causes us to let everything go and we go all in on but I really want to focus in on pearls because I think that's a really interesting place to look at because pearls aren't brought up that often in scripture. In fact, when I did a quick Google search this week, I found a place saying that was nine times and two times in this scripture, the word pearl 
brought up. So we first have to kind of talk about what are pearls? Well, pearls are where you have some type of invader come into some type of mollusk, so a clam, an oyster, a mussel. This can be anything from a sand particle causing an irritation within the mollusk or something like a microorganism going in and causing an irritation causing this reaction, this defense mechanism. And so what happens in the mantle, the main part of the mollusk, is they make mekur or mother of pearl. So it's this liquid that comes around it to help separate it out, to get rid of it, to get it out of the body so it no longer can irritate. And that's what we see as valuable. And if you dig into the world of pearls, pearls, there are cheap pearls and expensive pearls. Cheap pearls are cultivated. Expensive pearls are from nature, live pearls. And cultivation of pearls started in about 500 AD in China. So the modern version of it. So when Jesus is talking about pearls, they would have been extremely extremely valuable. And then like a lot of things, the bigger the pearl, the more valuable the pearl is what we perceive it to be. And so when this person is finding this beautiful thing that and willing to sell everything that they have, I think it's also really interesting that it's coming from an irritant, something that was they were trying to get rid of that makes something beautiful. I'll give you another example. This last week, it was announced, we have a new fish. This fish is the strudelfish. The reason it has never existed before, because it was accidentally made in a lab. <laughs> it was made in Hungary. It's between crossing a Russian sturgeon and an American paddlefish. And the thing that gets really interesting about this fish is that on the Russian sturgeon, instead of having two sets of chromosomes, it has four sets of chromosomes. And what makes then this new strudelfish even more interesting is that then it has two forms, a triploid, which means it has two of the chromosome sets from the Russian sturgeon, so from mom, it had to be mom being the sturgeon, and one from dad, so the American paddlefish, or a pentaloid, which had four chromosomes from mom and one from dad, which then, as you would imagine, the more chromosomes it had from mom, the more they would look like the Russian sturgeon, and thus you had almost two subspecies immediately. And the reason that I bring this up is that this is this fish out of water, this thing that's created and it has no home. It literally has a home in a lab. So how do we look at this? This is something that's totally, it wasn't supposed to happen. Just like we aren't, the people aren't used to cultivating mustard seed, but yet this fruitfulness came from this. We are able to see growth happen. It actually ties extremely well into what happens in Genesis 29 and moving forward. And actually with Genesis 29, I'll attach some additional links down below 
there's been definite times where we've seen in science where labs have been attempted to be sabotaged because people get jealous. People get where they're trying to move ahead. And so they're trying to wreck whatever that they have. They're trying to set aside. And there are three stories here that I have that will kind of tie some of that in. And, and it relates decently well when we're looking at that alternative gospel text of people trying to sabotage something. And in this case, Laban trying to sabotage Jacob and the future people of Israel. But isn't that what Jesus turns around here in the gospel text? These things that are supposed to destroy, the things that are not good, where we suddenly get a new form of fish or that this irritant inside a mollusk, we suddenly get something new, a new creation, this new living freedom brought forth in faith. Solomon realizing and looking at how his dad walked the faith out, but still had a heart that caused him to fall well short of even as he was chasing after God. Solomon having the insight to ask for wisdom so that he hopefully could try to be a better leader than his father. And I think there's an argument to at least be said that he did a very good job at trying to at least live up to his father's standard. We look at how it breaks our heart when we cause stress to God and we're not able to fulfill the promises of what God has, but yet we still see how God is working through that and how God is still trying to transform us and move us in a direction of faith. And that Paul wraps this up beautifully, how it's nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And it's that recognition of that that sets us forth. It's that recognition that the irritants in our own lives may help bring forth pearls later on. It's not that we are the ones deciding what are the good fish and what are the bad fish. That's the angel's job. That's not our job. Our job is to be going and finding that treasure of God with joy and giving everything we have for that, for God. Understanding that when we mix in the flower, that there might be times things grow even if we don't expect it. And that's not necessarily spoiled bread. That this mustard seed, this thing that's not seen as valuable, is in fact valuable in different spots. There is always value to us. Pearls are an example of a waste product that we see as valuable. And as we struggle to figure out what the strudelfish will be and where is its actual home, does it help us better understand some of the lack of understanding we still have about God's creation? Yeah. And that maybe this will help provide some more insight to us down the road. Brothers and sisters, we've been in this section of talking about the kingdom of heaven. And it continues to point out that we're not the judge and that we have value and that there's different things that maybe we see as a difficult thing at the current moment, this irritant, this thing that's causing us to fall flat. 
that oftentimes that God is still working toward something. We look at the weird relationship that we see with Jacob and Rachel and Leah, and yet he still blesses that marriage, no matter how weird and ordinary and hard it is for us to hear at this time and in this place where we are today. He still blesses it. Even when we fall down with this problems of our own flesh, he still blesses it. When we turn to God and ask for the wisdom to have the insight and start to see where we are falling apart and realizing that that's not only breaking God's heart, but it should break our heart, that that's when we realize that the love of Christ does not ever go away from us. And that's the encouragement that we need to continue to stretch forward, to keep going with joy, to seek the Lord. So the Twitter question this week is, where have you found pearls in your life? Things that initially irritated you that provided this beautiful pearl later on. And where are you finding the joy in Christ today? Because I think in this world and where we're in this crazy time, we have to still be chasing joy because joy is sustaining And when we find where God is and we find that joy that he gives, it is sustaining. And we start seeing the pearls of our own life, the ways and things of how we are mustard seeds providing branches for others, how there's yeast within us that is growing even when we thought it was dead. And that we realize that with the burden of being cast aside, and choosing what is right and what is bad is not on us. It's the Spirit of God within us that helps us guide us and realizing that because of that, we are never separated from the love of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is a week of optimism, a week of hope, a week that we can get through this. And the different things in our lives that may be surprising, like a struttlefish, or the things that are hard right now, might become a pearl. So we have to remember the joy that we're seeking is worth the treasure that we find when we go and seek him wholeheartedly. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.